Psalm 24. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's pray together. Our Lord, just as we are incited to do by the psalm that we just read, we may be seated, and that is the perfect statement of what we will be examining today in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, the message title, this is Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 33. The title I've given this message is Salty Servants. Salty Servants. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 33 through verse 50. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little ones, little children, in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, 
Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire which shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. I feel like we should pray again. (laughs) Moving on, verse 33. He came to Capernaum. He is going through Galilee on his way to Jerusalem, leading the apostles and many others to Jerusalem. He's trying to stay away from the crowds because he really wants to focus on discipling them more. And they come to Capernaum. They went into the house. When he was in the house, this is Peter's house in Capernaum. As we've noted many times through this series, this Gospel of Mark could authentically be called the Gospel of Peter. Peter was a disciple of excuse me, Mark was a disciple, a co-worker with Peter for the last several years of Peter's life. And this is Peter's description. Mark has described Peter as the actual speaker here. They're in Peter's house in Capernaum. And Jesus asks them an embarrassing question. You guys were arguing about something on the road. Now he knows but he's trying to get them to own up to their nonsense. You guys were disputing about something on the road. Uh, what was that about? They kept silent for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. <sighs> Has Jesus already addressed the issue of humility in their life, in their walk with him? Many times. In Matthew's gospel, at least, there's this when they got the word that John the Baptist had been put to death by Herod Antipas. They got that word, and Jesus said to the apostles, There is none greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist. Nobody. I mean, he is at the top of the list of God-blessed, God-elevated 
saints of God, people that were truly useful to God. Nobody greater than him. What, what, what were the traits of John the Baptist's ministry? He was wearing animal hides or sacks out in the wilderness. He's eating locusts and wild honey. I know we've touched on this recently. Repetition is the price of learning. He's been living, his whole public ministry was humble. He's out there in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. He is portraying what life would be for Israel under judgment, which he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is, the Jewish people know that the first step in establishing and stepping them into kingdom glory is judgment. Judgment followed by deliverance and blessing. Repent. You guys don't want to be judged. You don't want to be hammered. You want to be delivered. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And massive numbers of people came out from every direction were baptized by him and his disciples in the Jordan River and other places. That was, and that was his lifestyle matched his message. But Jesus says to the apostles, when they get word that he's been put to death by Herod Antipas, there is none greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist. But if you can find some way to be even more humble than John the Baptist, you will be greater than him in the kingdom. And these guys had all been exposed to John's ministry and message, and their, light, their jaws hit the f- floor. Ah, uh, more humble than John the Baptist? I don't know if they can even find a way. Is there any way? Well, Humility, humility, humility. Was Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, come in the flesh, humble? He left kingdom glory. He set aside the independent use of his omniscience, omniscience, omnipresence. He localized himself to human body. He's born of that woman, Mary. He is fully God, fully man. He is there as a humble. He works as a carpenter in Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He works as a carpenter in Nazareth. He comes out for public ministry, and he is walking a humble walk. He set aside all the glory he could have continue to enjoy in favor of serving our needs. Serving our needs. We were unsalvable. We could not be redeemed by anyone else other than Him. God the Son. He had to be a God of... He had to be a being of eternal value to take all of the lake of fire experienced due to the human race and his shoulders on the cross for a a six hour or so period of time. He took all of the lake of fire experience in our place so that his father, our sins have been paid for. It is finished, it's paid in full, giving his holy father perfect freedom to forgive us. Jesus walked in humility Therefore, he will be elevated above John the Baptist, but by whatever measure. And here, what are they debating about? Oh, which of us is going to be the greatest? Yeah, yeah, let's build a... Ah, yeah, I'll be running you. I'll be in charge of you. 
Gee, what? No. Your mindset should be the opposite. How can I serve? He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That's not our natural bent. That is something that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish within us. Only as we walk in full dependence on God the Holy Spirit can we walk in that humility and see the fruit of that authentic humility. What fruit did John the Baptist have? There was a massive pursuit of Christ by the people who had accepted John's message. They pursued Jesus for the most part. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And the greater the measure by which you are a servant is the greater by measure by which in God's coming kingdom you will be, will be your place in the royal family. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Okay, why does he, many, many times he uses the little child as an example here. Serving little children, serving little children. They stop people from bringing their little children to Jesus to be blessed. And he told the, he rebuked the, don't do that, let them come to me. Why would they stop children from coming to him? Why would he say receive other people as a little child? Well, a little child. We just prayed for Alana. She's got a little child. She's got another one on the way. How much uh, benefit does Alana or anybody else get from that baby? Does the baby wash the dishes? <laughs> does the baby clean the house? Does the baby... No, you become a servant to that child and they have no resource to pay you back. So welcome one another as you would welcome a little child with no expectation of a payback. You simply serve their needs, period, with no expectation. That's how you are to be servants of one another. You're to serve one another with no expectation of a payback from them. That's an authentic servant. And did Jesus not model that? Yes, he did. He took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. You're serving me when you're serving that child who cannot possibly pay you. You're serving me. Not only me, but the Father who sent me. You couldn't be doing a more significant, powerful act of service than in serving that person who could never possibly pay you back in any significant way. Now we have an example of them messing it up again, 
but it feeds into the message Jesus just gave them. And John, the apostle, I think his conscience, the Holy Spirit is, is prodding his conscience. And so he comes out with this, okay, <clears throat> Uh, John answered, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Meaning us and you. And I think at this point, now it doesn't say this in the text, I think Jesus goes, (sighs) Yes, John, your conscience is bothering you for a reason. Do not forbid him. Let me ask you a simple question, ladies and gentlemen. If we all were to give testimony today on the path that Jesus walked us on to shepherd us into his kingdom, would we all have exactly the same story? Oh, no. All kinds of different pathways that God we were shepherded on from all kinds of different sorts of wildernesses into his flock, into his presence. Lots of, this fellow that John is speaking of, this fellow, we saw him casting out demons in your name and we forbid him because he doesn't follow. He's not walking the same pathway we are exactly. So we forbid him. Do not forbid him, says Jesus. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. That man who is casting out demons in the name of Jesus, is that not an act of faith? Yes, it is. And he was succeeding in seeing demons cast out of people by the authority in the name of Jesus. That is an act of faith. If he is acting in faith, trusting me for that, do you think the day will come if it hasn't already? Do you think the day might come that he will entrust himself to me, to my authority, in seeking redemption, forgiveness for himself? Don't forbid him. He's on one of the pathways. Do not forbid him, for no one works a miracle in my name who does that can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. He's being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And again, that verse from James chapter 1 that we often recite here. We already did in the Sunday school class earlier. James chapter 1, it is of his, God's own will, that he brought us forth by the word of truth. You are in the kingdom because God pulled you in. You were born from above. Heaven's initiative. That's the testimony of the common element of the testimony of every Christian. Did we to human eyes walk different paths? Yes. But we all had that that similar trait. It was God bringing us to the flock. Do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon after Speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is on our side. He is at least on the path if he's not already in the kingdom, if he's not already in the family. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. 
What's one of the things you can give to a little child that that little child, if it's been trained to do, they can drink that cup of water. If you give a cup of water to one of these little ones or to anyone else, what could be a more simple gift to someone? How hard is that? You're standing there in the, in the, in the kitchen and there are cups there and somebody comes, I'm thirsty. Oh, here, let me give you a drink. Something you wouldn't even think a second thought about. It's just simple being, simply being polite. Heaven won't forget that. When we step into our God's presence, He is going to remind us of things we forgot long ago. He didn't even think were that significant at the time. And he is going to eagerly, gladly, joyfully pour out kingdom, enhanced kingdom glory on us because of that simple, simple, simple act of service. He won't forget it. You'll forget it. He won't. He won't. Whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, they're in serving you, they're serving me. Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's how eager God is to pour out kingdom blessing on us. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Well, let me ask you something, a question, dads and moms, uncles and aunts. <laughs> if somebody threatens your child, your little child, uh, how energetically are you going to jump in between your child, and the threat to defend your child. You're going to jump right in, and whatever price you have to pay to defend your child, you are, we will pay that. That is part of our nature. Even if we're fallen human beings, we will jump in between that threat to our child and our child, and we will p sacrifice whatever it is to defend our child. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... That is the biggest stupidity, wickedness you could possibly do. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You do not want to do that. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now as we go through this, he talks about cutting off the hand, cutting off the foot, plucking out your eye. Let me ask you a question. If you have just one hand instead of two hands, does this stop you from sinning? No. If you have one foot instead of two feet, does that stop you from sinning? No. If you have one eye instead of two eyes, does that stop you from sinning? No. What's Jesus saying? Jesus knows that. The apostles know that. What's Jesus saying? Whatever price you have to pay to avoid sin is worth the price because sin will charge you more than whatever sacrifice you make to avoid that sin. 
Now he picks the, as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, he picks the eye, he picks the hand, he picks the foot. Just 20 seconds of thought tells you, oh, well, that won't stop me from sinning. That won't stop. But he's saying, that is a huge price to pay, is it not? Yes. Whatever price you have to pay to not sin will be, char- will be a lesser penalty than avoiding than, the, than what sin will charge you. Sin will charge you more. Now, not immediately, typically, but more, but more. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed, into my Father's presence maimed, rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That is a quotation of the last verse of the prophet Isaiah. The last verse of Isaiah 66. These are the last three verses of Isaiah. For as the new heavens and the new earth. This is talking about the eternal reign of God described at the close of the book of Revelation. It's the same thing, same revelation. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh, all humanity shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence of all flesh right outside the new Jerusalem in the eternal reign of Christ. That is, the new heavens and new earth will be the lake of fire. It says that not only here, it says it at the close of the book of Revelation. And we will be walking by that lake of fire and I can remember the first time as a teenager I read those verses from Isaiah and I drew back in horror. Lord, why in the world would I want to do that? And the Holy Spirit reached off the page and went smack, smack. I, the Lord, do not do wrong. What you will see is what I have delivered you from. And by the way, I am a holy God and I am a just God. I am not an unjust God. You will not, when you step into the new Jerusalem to worship, you are a child of mercy. But you will see as you walk by the lake of fire those who are receiving justice because they demanded justice. They rejected mercy. So that's what Jesus is quoting here. And I'm sure that all these apostles are familiar with this passage. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that is never, that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. By the way, let me remind you, he's speaking to the apostles, the twelve. Who are these guys? Well, one of these guys really needs to hear this who refused it. His name was Judas Iscariot. Where their worm does not die and the fire, the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, 
pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone, and so he's done with that. Now he actually steps to a different thing. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. You are to offer yourselves as a sacrifice. And it's interesting, he's actually moved on. You are to present yourselves as a sacrifice. What does the Apostle Paul say in Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, as an appropriate response to God's mercy on you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Well, any, any sacrifice offered at the tabernacle or later the temple was holy. It was the Lord's. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, your logical service. Everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. When they brought in an offering into the tabernacle and later the temple, that meat sacrifice was placed on the altar, and it was cooked, and they added salt. It was mandated in the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers that they would season that sacrifice with salt. Numbers 18, verse 19. All the heave offerings, which they would come in and present, they would hold up an offering to the Lord and wave it, and it was sometimes called a wave offering. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you, meaning the Levites, the priests, and your sons and daughters, as a holy ordinance forever it is to be covered for forever it is a covenant of salt forever before the lord with you and your descendants with you leviticus 2 verses 11 to 13 it describes the same thing with all your offerings you shall offer salt so they were always to salt that offering number 1 it was a preservative but it was to be offered with salt. It was not an acceptable sacrifice without the salt. By the way, and so what does he say? Salt is good. We are presenting ourselves as an offering. What is our life experience right now? Have you ever walked through the fire? Everyone, to one degree or another, who is an authentic follower of Jesus will walk through the fire. Not for purposes of destruction, but for purposes we are making an offering ourselves, but it actually purifies us. And the salt is a preservative. But if the salt loses its savor, its saltiness, and I, one of the commentaries I touched on in pre- preparation for this, uh, thankfully the guy was not only a br- brilliant scholar, he also had been a missionary in, the, in East Asia. And he said it is a common thing in the marketplaces in the Orient and all over the ancient world as well. If you went into the market, there would be people selling spices and salt as well as many, many other goods. 
you always had to be very, very, very careful who you bought your spices and your salt from. Because there were people there who were selling salt. Now remember, their salt wasn't necessarily white. (laughs) They were selling salt that looked like regular salt, but it was actually diluted because they wanted to sell a whole lot. And so it might be 10% salt, but mostly it's other stuff that has no flavor. And so you get it home and you taste it. What? I just wasted my money on non-salt salt. <laughs> and you throw it away. Salt that is, has no flavor is not good for anything but to be thrown out in the road and walked on. It's of no value. So be salty. Be the real thing. Whoever will be seasoned, everyone will be seasoned with fire. Everybody will be going through testings, but you are to have salt in yourselves. How does that show up? I am a preservative. I am out there. If I am a salty servant, I am a servant. An authentic servant, an authentic salty servant is somebody who's whose lifestyle actually is a wonderful fragrance to God. And in the Old Testament, it it literally says God hovers over the altar, not only the altar of burnt incense, but also the altar where the sacrifices. And he goes, (sighs) Do you want God hovering over you as you walk your walk in this hostile environment? as a salty servant, as an authentic servant of his? Do you want God hovering over you going, ah, yes, splendid, splendid, splendid. Yes. That's what Jesus is saying here to these 12 apostles. Do you really want that? Then don't put yourself at the head of the line. Put yourself at the back of the line and look for ways of serving other people. Serving God's purposes in the lives of other people. That's not natural to us. That's only Holy Spirit inspired and enabled. But He is with us. Eager to do that through us. If we ask for the opportunity, He will give it. He will give you the energizing power to walk in defiance of your own selfish, sinful nature. I'm preaching to myself too, by the way. He will give you that divine energy to walk contrary to yourself in His power and enabling ability. That's the lesson. We are to be salty servants, serving people who can never possibly pay us back and even if they could, we're not looking for it. Master Meek, was it? No, who is it? Uh, Stephen Reinhold. Oh, and Vincent. We're coming to the Lord's table, and these two gentlemen volunteered to set down their donuts and come. (laughs) (laughs) And what a wonderful way this message, 
this Lord's Supper attaches so beautifully to the passage the Holy Spirit just shepherded us through. What are we saying here? What are we reminded of with this Lord's Supper? The God who came and served us. The God who came and poured out His blood, offered Himself as a sacrifice as we are to do. He never calls us to do anything that He hasn't done first. I'm going to invite Master Medina to give thanks for the